Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Holland Park Press. Once again, to our baptism families and friends. I love this part of season, especially in Dallas. I love driving at nighttime, the bright lights, towering trees. The other night I was driving through the Bishop Arts, the Oak Cliff part of Dallas, and I couldn't but help notice a colorful posters that said, eat, drink, and be merry, which kind of connotates this idea of a sense of freedom and carefree attitude to enjoy life because life is short. And I know for people in Dallas, we love our food. We have a lot of foodies here. We love our beverages. And at times I wonder, where is Mary? Where is Mary? Now, don't get me wrong. I know that I know that people in Dallas are generally happy people. We're very happy people. But at times, I feel like we're striving to manufacture happiness. We're looking for joy. Where is happiness? Where's the next joy that I can get? And, and there's actually, I think, uh, deep down inside of us, a quest for human joy. And, and actually, Tim Keller talks about this. There is a website called happier.com and helps people pursue more happiness and joy. And the founder has a background from McKinsey Company and Microsoft, and they've come up with analytics and algorithms to come up with, with joy and happy factor. And let me share these five steps with you. If you have these five things, you will have joy in your life. First, you need to have your basic needs met, like food, shelter, and water. That's the foundation of your beginning to your happiness. Second, you need to get enough sleep precisely seven hours and six minutes, according to the research, not less than six minutes. I found out that that extra six minutes is really important. It does something to your body. Seven hours, six minutes, according to National Sleep Foundation. There's actually an organization called that. Third, you need to have friends. You need to have relationships that matter. According to the research, if you have five friends or more, you'll most likely be 60% happier than those with five friends or less. Fourth, you need to have margins in your life. You cannot jam-pack your schedule with stuff in your life. You need some time for yourself. And finally, the sure path to joy is for you to have a job or work that gives you fulfillment. There is satisfaction when you wake up in the morning and you can't wait to go to work. Now, at the surface level, this all sounds good, right? Like, I want to get more sleep. I would love that. I, I want to be happy about my job. But I love how Tim Keller responds to this. He says, do you know how crazy this sounds in light of the history of humanity? He says, most cultures across the world uh, in history did not possess basic needs. Did you know that the average lifespan in Europe, in 17th century Europe, was anywhere between age 30 and 40 years old? Health was luxury. Or how many developing cultures can say that people have fulfilling or dream jobs? Most developing world nations have workers doing hard work, hard labor to, to feed their family. And Keller says this kind of thinking, this happy thinking, comes out of a generation of convenience and comfort, which can lead to pride and arrogance. And I think it's easy to see how in cities like Dallas and the park cities, where people have all these five things, all these five elements, yet they're still longing for deep joy. Now, if you're new to the Christian faith, the Bible makes this incredible claim that we can actually experience this kind of true joy a joy that transcends everything about this world. 
regardless of if you're getting enough sleep or not, regardless of, of uh, how you're doing your job. There, there is a true joy that exists. And we're going to talk about joy this morning because we desperately need to experience unshakable joy that calms our fears. So here's what I want to do today. I want to take a look at a story that's very familiar to many of us during Christmas, Christmas season from Luke chapter 12, uh, 2. I'm going to take a little different angle. I'm going to talk about two different Advents, the Advent of Jesus and the Advent of Caesar Augustus. And the word Advent in, a, uh, in Latin means arrival or announcement. Now, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, our senior pastor Brian has been teaching you all how to remember the four themes of the Advent candle, hope, peace, joy, love, right? He's been using my trademark name to teach you HPJL Highland Park J. Lee. That's how you remember that. So I was at a grocery store the other day, and, and this lady approaches me and goes, are you Highland Park J. Lee? <laughs> yes, I, I'm Highland Park Joy Love. So it's working. This is, this is working. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 10. This is God's living and active work for us. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let me, let me pause here and say this. The angel announces, there is, there is great news, a great joy with the birth of Jesus. And it's not just any kind of joy. This is great joy. The word great in Greek is mega. This is mega joy. This is joy that ex exceeds everything else. You know, I have a daughter who's a junior in high school, and I asked her, said, hypothetically, if someone came up to you and, and gave you some incredible, wonderful news, um, what would that be for you? What would you consider as epic news as a high school student, a junior? And she thought about it for a second. She said, well, I think if someone came up to me and said, you got a really high, high score on your, on your SAT, that would make me really happy. Now, I thought she would say something like, if someone came up to you and said you had somehow the elusive, uh, uh, what's her name, Taylor Swift concert tickets, or you, know, you got a new car for, for Christmas, which she won't. I thought that would make her happy. She just wanted high SAT score. Now, as an Asian father, that brought joy to my heart. I just want you to know that. <laughs> but, but here's the reality. Even though our heart wants to experience joy, our brain is hardwired for worry and to have fear. Did you know that? According to neuroscientists from UCLA, fear is a hardwired emotion in your brain and your nervous system. And fear is not necessarily a bad thing because can you imagine what life would be like if you were born without fear? Like you'd be going to your refrigerator and drinking milk that's been expired for many weeks. You don't care. You'd be driving the wrong direction on a highway or for pastors and preachers would be coming up without any kind of preparation and just start talking and preaching because and, we have no fear. You, you wouldn't want that. So healthy fear is a good thing. It's a basic survival mechanism. But if you and I, if we constantly live in fear, fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of trying something new, then that is not a good thing because it will rob us of joy. And the truth is that as, as human beings, we constantly move from joy to fear and fear to joy. And there's this cycle, a pendulum cycle that we go through in life. And the scripture writers tell us what sustains and perpetuates this fear is what the scholars call the three enemies of the soul. 
the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. These are the three temptations that Jesus himself, himself experienced in the desert. And what these three things have in common is that they have a way of shadowing you and, and coming behind you in your mind and lurking you with, with sense of fear. And fear, we know, that is what separates us from the law of God. So let me try to unpack this, this concept of fear in terms of the Advent season that we're in today in what theologians call the already but not yet. Now, I know you have heard of this phrase, the space between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus is called the in-between time. We know that Jesus has already come, and because he has come of a virgin birth and lived and died and rose again, he has defeated sin and death, and we have abundant life. God is victorious on the cross. He's risen, so this is good news. At the same time, we can honestly say that there is loneliness and brokenness, disease. I just got a call from someone this week saying that he has a cancer. This is real. Because it's not up until the second coming of Jesus when God will make all things right and all things new. So we live in this crucial balance of the now and not yet that our faith requires. But I want to point out another advent in Luke chapter 2. It's the advent of Caesar Augustus. And the advent of Caesar is in constant conflict with the advent of Jesus. Look at verse 1. Here's how the story goes. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And notice, notice how all the powerful Roman leaders are listed here, Caesar Augustus, Quirinius, and everyone had to travel to his or her own hometown to be registered because of the census taking, and census taking back then had twofold purpose. First, to separate people, to identify people. Man, woman, slave, free, rich, privileged. In a way, census created a separateness in community. And second purpose was to find out how many people you'll have for your army, your military. They wanted to know how many male soldiers you'll have and how much to charge your citizens for taxation to fund your private wars. So you see the empire... Now, I'm going to make a general statement here. The empire was built on separation and control of everyday people. And this is the advent, the arrival of Caesar Augustus, a kingdom built on aggression and force and separation. And because Joseph and very pregnant Mary had to participate in this mandatory process of census taking, they had to leave Nazareth and to go back to their hometown of Bethlehem the city of David, verse 6. The time came for Mary to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was, there was no place for them in the, in the inn. Friends, the, the image that I want to have here is not this happy hallmark version of Christmas story, but this is a very dark story that we're reading in Luke chapter 2. This is a dark story of a powerful king using his influence, abusing his influence to separate families from their homes, and using taxation to, to take over nations. 
because the empire knew the quickest way to influence a populace, a population was through fear and control. And it is in this moment precisely we hear the angel announcing the advent of Jesus. Verse 9. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, them meeting the shepherds, right? The shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And I want you to notice how this incredible news came to the shepherds first. Who were the shepherds? They were the bottom feeders, the bottom of social ladder. They were considered unimportant people. They were nobodies, which makes it, by the way, like everybody, like you and me. Great news of joy. The most joyous news of the world has ever heard was told to everyday people, to everyone, everywhere. Not just for the elites, not just for the powerful, not just for morally right people, just, but for everyone. This is incredible news. So we have two kings that arrive on the scene in Luke chapter 2. One king, one is proud, promising all kinds of good stuff for you. Security, comfort, accumulation of wealth, but it's only for the few. And you may not have joy. The other king arrives to the lowly, the forgotten. And there's joy for everyone. And the gospel writer, and the gospel writer is inviting us to this story and asking us, now, which kingdom do you want to live for? The kingdom of fear or the kingdom of joy? So I'm going to, let's get practical here about this. Let's get practical. Here's one way how fear plays out in our lives. In in the kingdom of Caesar, the life is based on a scarcity model. It's the belief that nothing nothing is ever enough. We just don't think that we have enough in this world, and we believe that we are not enough, and we're not doing enough. There's not enough money. There's not enough food. There's not enough love. So so we're fighting. We're wrestling. We're grappling. We're accumulating because you just want this to be mine. In Caesar's empire, you, are, you and I are in competition. We're not friends. We don't like to share resources. We don't share information. That's not us. I look at what you have in the kingdom of Caesar and what I don't have, and more I focus on that, I realize, man, I'm just not good enough. I'm not like you. I'm not a good enough of a parent. I'm not a good enough of an employee. I'm not a good enough of, of a family member in my family. I'm just not good enough. So you begin to feel this uh, soul-crushing weight of fear. And the intensity of fear makes you believe that everything depends on me. Me. Like, if I don't take care of myself, who's going to take care of me? If I don't do it, who's going to do it? Like, I need to take control of everything that I'm doing, because if I don't do it, no one else is going to do it. That's why you begin to think. So, so, you feel that, so you feel like that proverbial hamster on a, on a wheel chasing and running and running and running as fast as you can to catch up with others, and you're tired, and you're stressed, and welcome to the life of Caesar Augustus, the, the advent of his empire. And this is where Jesus shows up. and shows us a new way of living, because the kingdom of Jesus is the opposite of scarcity. The the kingdom of Jesus is one of abundance. It's somehow five loaves and two fish can feed the thousands. It's where everything is gift from the Lord. The earth is the Lord and everything in it. And in this abundance, there's not just enough, but there's more than enough. 
We can share. We can give. We can love without fear in the kingdom of Jesus. We can relax. We're not so uptight. We can enjoy. Seek first the kingdom of God. Why? Because everything else will be done unto you. You don't have to worry. You don't have to have anxiety. There's a plenty of time for you. There's a plenty of margin in your time. We call this, by the way, a practice of Sabbath. Why? Because we believe that when we are at rest, God is always at work. God goes before us. We call this grace. In the biblical language, we call this shalom, a life of shalom, a life of jubilee and freedom. And God is calling us to the advent of joy. So how do we receive this joy? How can we move from fear to joy? Let me share two practices. First, be near to God. I know that sounds simple, be near to God. The main source of our joy is being in proximity to God, who is the most joyful being in the universe. I like what C.S. Lewis said about this. Um, check this out, his comment. Good things as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. And here's what he's saying. His formula for joy was basically, he's saying, get close to the source of joy itself. Who is God? Who is God himself? Get close to the source of joy, which is God himself. And now what I'm about to say next is going to sound very opposite of everything that I have just said so far. If you and I want to experience and enlarge our capacity to enjoy this, this joy that God has given to us, we need to be open to a suffering. We need to open our heart to suffering because pain is what God often uses to draw us near to God. And suffering is how we best identify with the heart of God. And suffering is a number one way. God does his work of stripping us from all false joys, all the things that we're holding on to, thinking that all these things will give us joy. But in a way, it's holding us back from God. And as we experience hardship and pain, we remember that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus pierces our darkness. And the more we get closer to, closer to him, the light expands. Joy overwhelms fear. Joy drives out fear. Isn't this what the shepherds experience? If you, if you look at the passage, this is what the shepherds experience. They first had great fear. What drove out their great fear was the announcement of great joy of Jesus. So question for us is, where do you need the announcement of great joy in your life for God to push out some of the fears that you're going through in life? And according to Google, some of the most searched mental health-related questions in year 2022 were, how can I pull it together? How can I be, um, how can I be hopeful? How can I be healed? And this morning, if that's you and that's how you're feeling, I want you to know there's something deeper that we can anchor ourselves in. And this is the kind of joy that the world cannot touch. And God wants to draw near to us as we get closer and closer. The Holy Spirit comforts us and he empowers us to send us back out into the world. Which brings us to the final point. The second practice that will move us from fear to joy is when we engage in God's kingdom work. So here's a question. Do you remember when Jesus himself was filled with joy and when he was so happy? 
It comes to us in Luke chapter 10, verse 21. It goes like this. Listen. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. That expression, full of joy, that you see in verse 21, is not your normal joy. It it means explosive joy. It means like laugh out loud type of laughter and joy. Imagine Jesus having this deep belly laugh. And we need to ask, what is causing Jesus to be so joyful? Well, here's what happens right before this scene. Jesus gathers 72 of his followers, and he sends them out two by two to do the work of God's kingdom, to feed the poor, to heal the sick, and to set the captives free. And what's what happens when these 72 followers return back in verse 17? The 72 return with joy. There's that word joy. And said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And here's what I want you to see. What gave Jesus joy? was when he saw his followers filled with joy because they were doing the work of God's kingdom. They were doing ministry. You see, joy is found in blessing other people. When we selflessly give ourselves to heal and to encourage and to lift up, that's what brings us joy. And ultimately, this joy is Jesus himself, and the world cannot take away this joy from you. So here's my encouragement to you and to us, and this is how we will end. I want you to think of someone in your life right now during this Advent season who might need a friend during this season, someone who needs encouragement. I want to give you a moment to think about this person. Who is this person? Maybe someone who has lost a loved one. Maybe someone living alone or someone who is battling a long-term illness. Maybe someone that you have not talked to in a while because you know how life can get very complex and messy. And we're going to bless them with a prayer, a silent prayer. In fact, I'm going to invite you right now. Will you close your eyes just wherever you are, wherever you're listening from? Let's pray for God's unshakable joy to fill this person by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, restore to us once again the joy of salvation. And as you prompt us with this person's name, we pray for this person now. So just silently where you are, will you, will you, will you name this person? Father, we pray for your joy to invade the hearts of your people and let the joy of the Lord be our strength. And like the shepherds, turn our great fears into great joys so that once again we can hear the good news of great joy that will be for all people. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.